So when I was in uh, the sixth grade, went down to Malibu for backpack shopping. Beginning of the school year. You know, you go backpack shopping, school supply shopping in August. Uh, you know, get uh, all excited for the new year ahead. This has been uh, 2003, I guess. Uh, and I went to Becker. Did you ever go to yes. Becker? <laughs> yeah, and yes. I was going to say, did you go to Becker? <laughs> I went to Becker, absolutely. There's like not many places to buy a backpack <laughs> in Malibu. Uh, I don't know. Is Becker still there? You would know. Is it, is it yes, still there? It wow. Is. God, that is shocking. Uh, right next to a uh, uh, standby of the program, Coogie's Beach Cafe. But we'll let that sit. All right. Um, I went to Becker. Uh, I got some cool shirts, some Quicksilver, some Billabong, some Hurley. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Saw, uh, well, so that's the thing. Saw a backpack, sick as hell, brown, with a little bit of kind of magenta stitching. Mm. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Coolest brand. Coolest of all the surf brands, as far as I was concerned, at least, at that time. Only problem was, it was a girl's backpack. It wasn't a boy's backpack. They had a similar looking one, Volcom, brown backpack in the boy's section, but it didn't have the same design, didn't have this cool kind of bright, purpley magenta. Yeah, I was going to say magenta. Yeah. And, uh, and I was there with my mom, and I was like, you know, I, I really like this one. I know it's a girl's backpack, but it's just, it's a backpack, right? So like, what is, no one's going to know. Who gives a shit? Uh, and I really like the way it looks. I got that backpack. A couple weeks later, show up to the first day of school, and lo and behold, a couple other girls walking around campus mm-hmm. with the same girl's backpack as me on my back shoulder. And I know this is 2022. We're in a very different world at this point. It's only cool to be bi or queer or yeah. trans or something at this point <laughs> in yeah, you're middle school or high school. Curve. I can assure you it wasn't like that in the Conejo Valley in the year of 2003. <sighs> It was a really tough day for me that day. Uh, I think I ended in tears. Um, and uh, and uh, I didn't wear the backpack ever again. Went back down to Becker, returned it, exchanged it. I think I got a black Jansport at Tilly's in Thousand Oaks at that point. Just the most the, basic. The Jansport of defeat. Yeah. Really, you know, really a tough kind of hang. Um, and I say all that to, to just sort of establish from a young age kind of had this this challenge uh, with my masculinity, I would say. Uh, you know, I, I, I was kind of uh, drawn towards, you know, certain things that weren't prototypically uh, considered to be, you know, masculine or, or made for boys or whatever. And I, I understood that and I was okay with that. And, and I wanted to explore that direction. At the same time, I was very self-conscious about it. And again, 2003, this kind of world was not very friendly to that. Fast forward, high school, right? 2007, eight, something like that. So we're up to a year before Girls Album comes out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the pits of things. Uh, I played football as a freshman, didn't really work out so well, quit the team, gained a lot of weight, got into stoner life, played a lot of games, real mm-hmm. big video game world, mm-hmm. really tough, tough kind of era for me. Uh, and at the same time, was into music you know good music thanks again to my father who uh, has been shouted out many times on the program like some good bands you know that's where uh, the early days of the bob stuff came from also liked some what at this point in time you know i'm, I'm a little less fond of what at that point in time might have been considered sort of fruity quote-unquote music by uh, a lot of 11th grade boys you're thinking tegan and sarah uh mm-hmm. uh um uh, death sebastian Bell and Sebastian, I'm still fully behind. Um, but yes, absolutely Bell and Sebastian. Death Cab for Cutie, you know, that kind of thing. Just so, sort of like entry-level 
alt kind of uh, music. The Decemberists. The Decemberists, exactly. Exactly that kind of shit. Went and saw the Decemberists at the Palladium in mm. like 2007 or something like that. And um, Matt and Kim. Matt and Kim. Bingo. Daylight. Oh, man. Still a good song. <laughs> Is um, it the... <laughs> moving it's on. catchy. Um, that kind of music, right? Um, and I was also, you know, uh, moving in the direction of some cool music, cooler music, getting a little bit older, but that was where I was coming from. At the same time, kind of found myself drawn towards a girl at the old Agora High School uh, who was also really into <laughs> Tegan and Sarah. Right. <laughs> uh, little did I know at the time that uh, liking Tegan and Sarah as a 10th or 11th grade girl, um, you know, might have uh, indicated some things about who you were, what you believed, and, you know, kind of what your proclivities were, the type of person you were drawn to that romantically. You were Perhaps, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, and, uh, and I knew I was interested in the ladies. And I was interested in this lady because she ostensibly was interested in me. She talked to me. She was in my photo class. She was sort of artistic-y, you know, kind of thing. She did Twitter really early, just like I did Twitter really early. Uh, so that was kind of uh, 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 something uh, interesting to me. And um, so I kind of got kind of got attracted to her, fell into what turned into a really kind of noxious relationship. I was kind of an asshole to her, and she was sort of, you know, not... Uh, didn't really know what she was doing either. It was, you know, it's what happens when you're 16 years old. But we started going to concerts together um, a lot. And, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of a fun bonding experience while we still had it. We saw Boney Bear together in um, uh, the uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery at sunrise. Went there into the campus at midnight. And then he played at 6 a.m. after some Buddhist monks had done some chanting to lead everyone. It's a beautiful show. Still one of my wow. all-time favorites. Um, anyways, one of the shows that we went to, uh, was at the El Rey Theater, right there on Wilshire Boulevard in Mid-City. Uh, Los Campesinos, you ever hear them? You ever listen to them? I've heard of them. Yeah. Uh, and I promise I'm getting there, so thank you for your patience so far. It's fine, I'm just chilling. I have a Modelo. (laughs) Perfect. Got a little rosé here. Um, and, uh, so we went to, uh, Los Campesinos. This would have been August 2009. Um, didn't really like Los Campesinos myself that much. There were a couple kind of catchy songs, uh, but it wasn't really something I was interested in. But she was, and this was really kind of at the apex of our relationship where I was really trying to just like convince her to be straight, basically, at this point. And, uh, you know, wouldn't you know it, that's, that's a little difficult to do. Um, but I was, I was in denial and I, uh, you know, kind of had set myself up for, you know, failure. Um, but I was, again, not not acknowledging that at that time. Went to Los Campesinos in August 2009. Showed up super early. Uh, we lined up outside of the show because we really cared about getting to the absolute front stage of the, um, you know, the front of the stage at the foot of the stage at that time. That's what you do when you're 16. It's what you do when you're from Southern California and of a certain era. It was just etiquette. It still holds over through... I think a lot of people I know. Absolutely, that. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I I absolutely admire all the kids when I go to shows at this point who are right up there at the front and, you know, have been there since fucking 5 p.m. when yeah. doors don't open until 9. The kids who are now often 27, 20. 39. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still remember a car drove into a lamppost right in front of us as we were waiting uh, to get into the venue and, uh, the big bulb in the lamppost fell down after a moment and shattered, burst into a million pieces of glass on the sidewalk. It was a real kind of light bulb, flash bulb moment, no pun intended. Um, got inside the venue, 
Got up to the front. Finally, show's about to start. Out walks a band. Openers. Lead singer, kind of small, hunched, right? He's got his, like, kind of greasy long hair. Um, weird kind of teeth and kind of a, a shitty mustache. Um, but an interesting style. Definitely got some sort of vibe to him. Um, and the rest of the band comes out. There's one really tall guy, kind of a big guy in the back on the corner on a bass guitar. Uh, and I think they had a drummer and another guitarist at this time. I think they were just a four-piece uh, in 2009. And they play a set, and it is like nothing I've ever heard. The lead singer's voice grates on my ears from beginning to end. It is extraordinarily loud. Really one of the most unpleasant rock shows I'd ever been to at the ripe young age of 16, 17, however old I was. And we both agreed at that, me and my, my female counterpart at that time. Um, and then we, you know, Los Campesinos came on and did their thing, and that was the end of the night. And about a week later, I kind of started thinking back, and I was like, you know, some of the, some of the music that that opening band played was kind of interesting. I should, I should actually lick them up, look them up. You know, this is summer 2009. I was really into neon Indian and washed out at the same time. You remember Naturally. those? Yes. <laughs> you remember those days? Do you uh, remember a band called High Places? I was really into them. At that I do. Point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We've all got these kind of, uh, you know, skeletons yeah. in our closet. Emeralds. Em- emeralds is, I think emeralds holds up, but they, yeah, I mean, they, sure. they were doing a I'm not saying thing. anything about these. Ba- I was just, it was about that time. Yes, absolutely. Emeralds and Mark McGuire. That was a very 2007, eight, nine kind of thing. Start looking up this band that we, uh, that opened for Los Campesinos. Band called Girls. It was a bunch of guys called Girls. What's Hold the phone. Out? Never heard of something like that. And, uh, and the first song I found online was a song called Lust for Life. And I hit play. I downloaded the song. I think I bought it from the iTunes store for $1.29. You know, this was after they had raised the price from $0.99. Cent. And the guitar was just fucking infectious leaping into my brain. And the song sounded incredible. I had heard them play this song at Los Campesinos a week before. And this song was a totally different song. Or maybe I was a totally different person. And right from that moment, I just knew, like, this was, this was the band for me. There was something going on here. <laughs> Record hadn't even come out at this point. Second side of that single, the B side of that single, I have it on, on vinyl, uh, is uh, Life in San Francisco. Um, great single. Or great, you know, kind of B side. Spent the rest of that summer, you know, kind of just driving around, tooling around, listening to these first couple songs. Hellhole Rat Race was the only other song that was out. Um, and, uh, and this relationship with the girl kind of collapsed, fell apart as it needed to, as it had to. Um, she was not, she was not straight. She was not. It, right? turn, it turned out okay. <laughs> several years of evidence I see. Um, uh, did end up being exactly 100% correct. And, um, and I still remember, um, uh, 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 like, I think the last time, like, we kind of were together and, like, had a conversation, and it really kind of all came down together, and, like, this was the final moment of crisis, and after that, it just was over for good. We went and got coffee or something, and then I drove her back to her place, and I left, and I was wearing, like, an American Apparel V-neck and these mm-hmm. short, like, corduroy shorts that they used to sell there. Yeah. <laughs> You're nodding. You're saying yes. Yeah. I, I, did, I was doing the same thing. And I put on, I guess it must have been Big Bad Mean Motherfucker, and I hear Chris, Chris Owens singing, you know, I wear my short, shorty shorts on a sunny San Francisco day. And it is so infectious and life-affirming and beautiful and 
I just knew like whatever kind of insecurity I ever had in the past as a sixth grader with my Volcom backpack from the girls section at Becker in Malibu, whatever I felt like then wearing my American Apparel V-neck and my short corduroy shorts, whatever I was trying to do, trying to convince a queer woman to be straight with me uh, against her better judgment, um, it, uh, it was going to be okay. And I was totally cool with who I was and what I was going to do and where I was going to go and what I was going to be. And the, re- the next year of my life, the final year, the, the senior year of my high school career, really put it all together and feels like the moment that I kind of came into my own and became a human being and figured out what I was interested in in this life and what it was all about. And this record, Girls Album, was the soundtrack to all of that. There's something about all these records that came out around that time that uh, they all were shooting for a sense of timelessness or um, some of them weren't concerned with that at all. And it was all about just the moment. And I feel like this record felt very of the moment. And I, I kind of always had it in my mind that this record was was good then. But then as the years went on, I just kept looking back and thinking, like, it's still good. This one's still good. And then their next one has is also still good. <laughs> and then the next one was st- good still. And without getting too much more into that, I think it speaks to the reason why it affected you so deeply is that this is music that has a um, a timeless quality due to how penetratingly universal it is on some level uh, in a way that other music at the time just kind of wasn't interested in being. Um, and it's endured for that reason. That's why we're still talking about it. Yes, it is a perfect. It's a perfect record. It's a perfect discography from beginning to end. I think we're going to do the other two. Yeah, as I well mean, at some point in the future. There's not so that many to talk about, and they're all just, worth talking about. So. They're just three. It's just album, Broken Dreams Club, and Father Son Holy Ghost. Um, but so we'll set those other ones aside in the future. And there's much more to get into in the story of Girls with what comes, you know, later on in this just two three year period. Well, thank um, you for your story uh, of Ian, because that was uh, very beautiful to hear. Thank you. I appreciate you being, uh, being a warm, friendly ear for my unpacking of my ugly uh, and, uh, and yet human uh, kind of <laughs> upbringing. Anytime. Uh, um, lust for life. Um, I mean, maybe I, I, it's, it's very difficult to I I would say for me it's impossible to say I have a favorite song and a favorite album and a favorite artist. But if you asked me, and I had to if, if gun to my head, sodium pentothal in my veins, favorite artist, favorite song, favorite album. This is like this is it. This is the album. This is the song. This is the artist. 
Um, it is a magical, like, you know, two and a half minutes of music that never, ever gets old. No matter how many times you listen to it consecutively, you always want to put it back on again. Really, mm-hmm. honestly, as good as they ever got right off the bat. <laughs> this is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Which did say nothing of how incredible the rest of their catalog is, but it just right from the jump. Like, yes. it's perfect. It's so tight, like the structure of it when it finally uh, explodes. I mean, the first thing you hear is that like nasal uh, kind of annoying voice. Yes. <laughs> I wish I had a boyfriend. Incredible. Uh, I wish I had a loving man in my life. Uh, and I wish I had I think, a father. Maybe yeah. then I would have turned out right. And Amen, brother. The, the, uh, the thing that always stuck with me was the I wish I had a pizza and a bottle of wine. Ugh. I mean, these are so, that these are <laughs> that's like such a a primal desire: a pizza and a bottle of wine. Forget wanting to have a father figure you know that's (laughs) these are all these are all things that are on the same kind of level Uh, uh, a boyfriend a loving man in my life a father a pizza and a bottle of wine yeah well all equally important i mean without being yeah i'm not trying to be totally silly or dismissive it's true that like i think the message the feeling i get from this song was that i kind of just assumed that like i never assumed he was gay or anything from the lyrics i I just kind of thought like this is a song about just desire and it kind of sets that up from the beginning which is the essence of the band as far as i can tell my read on them in terms of like what the main theme is is kind of like uh doggedly pursuing some kind of pleasure uh, and sense of safety uh despite um constantly being like beaten and told not to right yeah it's not i mean uh obviously you know it's a guy chris owens is a man uh the very first line of this entire record you get is i wish i had a boyfriend so that tells you something right off the bat but it isn't i I agree with you like it, it 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 actually kind of strikes me as a little bit what we've talked about with lou where like he's sort of or lose you know what what he kind of believed and stated you know in the mid 70s you know into the late 70s before he went off and did his own thing or you know it became straight or whatever um just like you like you don't even you don't even consider or factor whatever kind of of gender or presentation anyone else has it's just a person and they are they are who they are for whatever you know for better or for worse what it is is a universal song and it doesn't even matter at the end of the day exactly however personal you know personally informed this is by his own sexuality like you know gay straight man woman other you know non-binary whatever you can all sing along to this song and absolutely feel with 100 percent certainty exactly what chris owens wants you to feel well because it has those those positive things but then it really comes down to the i wish i it's the wish to have these things and then Instead, I'm just crazy and, and so totally on. mad and fucked so, in the head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to like intellectualize the lyrics because it it really is more just about the feeling. But um, yeah, that there's already this sense of uh, like wanting something that's just out of reach, and that's kind of really what makes it feel so uh, so emotionally resonant then and now. Yes, 
Yeah, it's such clear, like, really, like, you know, I, I've compared Bob and, and um, David Berman to one another, Latter-day Bob and David Berman to one another, you know, just in the, the clarity and precision and, and just, like, fucking, like, clear as glass type of lyricism. Uh, no, no screen whatsoever between, you know, um, uh, the lyrics and, and, and who's singing them. Like I think Chris is is up there with with both of them as well. Just like uh, from the beginning to the end, in the entire girl's discography and even beyond, um, into his solo stuff, which you know, uh, for for certain reasons is maybe not as successful or as fondly remembered as the girl stuff. Um, it, just like a a a beautiful poetic soul. Um, and uh, and and again, you know, knowing his story, um, you know, uh, really makes that all the more impactful. But I, I think we should should probably let that sit for for future episodes. Um, one note on this, this episode did is coming out on the two year anniversary of the passing of Chet J.R. White, the other member of Girls. Um, right. And um, and he is just as important to this band and this sound and this whole spirit and feeling as Chris is, you know, you, you kind of think of Chris as, you know, as girls, um, or you can think of him that way. Um, and, and yet, um, you know, uh, Chet playing the bass up on stage, but also producing the entire record is, is just as essential and, and, um, impactful and, uh, as, as formative, uh, an influence on the sound here. And you get that, on every single one of these songs, most particularly here, Lust for Life, the 52nd mark. song just sounds so huge like it's coming into three dimensions reaching out of the screen and just into your chest and grabbing you by the heart it's these two were made for each other chris and and chet and um and it is um it is it is very difficult um still i think for for me and obviously for a zillion other listeners out there and to say nothing of chris and and those who knew chet um to to know that he's you know not here anymore to um to help make this sound and and help make bring these kind of visions to life um but this album is just a perfect it's a testament to uh, to everything that anyone is possible of as a musician the next song yeah 
<laughs> That's the other thing about this fucking band. It's so perfectly just kind of like, and, and you should appreciate this. I think we both appreciate this just from a like an aesthetic and conceptual kind of point of view. But yeah, that's what I mean when I was talking about the timeless quality of it. It's like there was uh, a lot of flotsam and jetsam like uh, of the indie rock era visually. Like everyone just trying out all these like hokey things uh, one after another. And the the cover of this record is just very simple and very pretty. Um, and yet it does have a little bit of that, like, it, it's like a distillation of that, like, hipstamatic, like, Instagram uh, lamography <laughs> aesthetic, like the early Urban Outfitters look. It is. But, but it is in a way that's that that's that's what all those things were trying to do and this it's just presented very simply and and doesn't actually come off as trend based it's just a kind of what it looked like to try to make something simple and beautiful in 2009 right and like you open up the gatefold on this and every single one of the songs has a corresponding girl i don't know if you've ever seen this but each one of the titles of the tracks has right. its own again, like the, the individual like early Instagram, like like or Polaroid thing. You know but what I'm talking about. I do, but it, but it, and it, it it's that that that's true. I agree, but it's it's more than that, and it and it's even like Instagram didn't even exist when this record came right. out. Right, but it's it's. I'm not trying to make this uh, hammer out some kind of grand uh, connection here. It's just I do associate this record and the aesthetics of of the cover with that because you have these four pictures and they're like it's just like flowers and it's them and yeah, it's Chris and Chet and it's fucking roses and that's like everything you need to know about this band. That's what I love about the it's way the record looks album, and it fe- it's exactly it's the band is called girls the album is called album the cover is just white and helvetica font girls album and a picture of chris and a picture of chet and a picture of Ro- two pictures of roses that's everything you need to fucking know about this band um it's just so perfectly and the way they kind of iterate on that that art style and and imagery you know on the next two records and across um uh you know their their live performance and their photos and stuff like that their, their videos and stuff it's just like it's so perfectly kind of conceived and and crystallized and it's just like it's solid as a fucking diamond And the song Laura. All right. So it's really <laughs> incredibly fucking cornball maudlin music, except it's, I don't know why, but they get away with it every time, basically. Like they just, they, it's so syrupy and, 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 uh, leans into this, like, it's like an abject sentimentality that just like transcends itself and, and, 
you, you it makes you admit that like I do want to feel that way. Exactly. No concern whatsoever for looking cool, being trendy, fucking le- the leather jackets, you know, return of rock, early 2000s, like the Strokes, Interpol, White Stripes, sort of like it's as far away from that whole world as you can possibly fucking imagine. I don't think that it's there's no concern with being cool. I think what it is is an accurate understanding of what's always cool. And that's that what what's always cool is like confident emotion in music. Yeah, exactly. There's no pose to it, I think. You know, like this is all one, like you know, this is fucking genuine, like as real as real fucking gets. But there's um, a pose, there is a pose in that it's like a pose that, that is in opposition. It's like against the wind of, of the trends and vibes in a way. It's, it's a little bit, it is performative and posy in a way, but it's, in the service of like reminding everyone of what's really important, which is something that I think is, you know, I really, <laughs> I mean, it's, we spend a lot of time talking about rock music from the 20th century. So that's like <laughs> something that I this is rock music to. from the 21st century, <laughs> right? Except it really is rock music from the 21st century that is still working with and digesting and understanding that the, it's not like we improved or like reinvented the wheel once it became 2000. But I think that there was kind of this expectation that, oh, surely rock music is going to change and get better and better and more and more inventive. And while that's true, it's also like uh, you've got to have somebody holding down the fort. you got to have someone being like, hey, like there's a reason why putting drums and guitars together and singing songs about heartbreak and love are like the the thing that started this because it's like essential and laura is like a song that yeah like so many others on this record just like leans into that with a with a vengeance with like a a true uh a a lust for life i can't okay there you go (laughs) well done um yeah it's it's uh it's just a you know a, a perfect kind of confessional, I think, and it really is, you know, syrupy sweet um, in in many ways, um, and and yet it feels so essential to me. Like he's not, you know, like like there's almost not even a song, you know. It's 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 almost <laughs> just like a a window into this guy's fucking brain, and it just so happens to be set to some of the most beautiful music that you can possibly imagine. Um, You've been a bitch. I've been an ass. Right, exactly. Like, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. That's, that's it. Every one of these fucking songs, I think, is so, like, well kind of instantiated and, and brought to life in its own unique way. That's the other thing I think that's so remarkable about this record is, you know, like, think of the other 2009, 2010 kind of releases, you know, right? Like, Deer Hunters kind of stuff or Animal Collective or Grizzly Bear or whatever. Uh. Um, 
all very deer hunter less so, but like uh, Animal Collective and Grizzly Bear, uh, the kind of kings of the 2009 indie sons, uh, very sort of like you know mannered and and like clearly in a theme from beginning to end on these records. Uh, you know, Meriwether or Beckett Timmis are like you know you're operating in the same kind of palette. This record jumps between every single genre and every single mode and 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 flavor of rock and roll and pop music from song to song to song like every single one is could be from a completely different band and yet they all kind of cohere and congeal so perfectly and could only ever come from these two guys and that again I think is a credit to what JR was able to do in the studio. Yeah, you know, I don't want to downplay like the the reason why it's so confidently um emotive in the way that maybe it was like people still shy away from or I don't know it it's like takes some uh moxie to do is it's actually a song just about like a friendship that has fallen apart and uh somebody who is trying to reconcile that and just being like, come on, like, I don't want to, like, we don't have to do this. It's like so touching. It's like, right. it's like, I don't want to, it's, <laughs> his first lines are, where did it start? We used to be friends. Now when I run into you, I, pre- I pretend I don't see you. I know that you hate me. I tried to be tough. I tried to be mean. I don't want it to be like, I don't want to be like this. I just know, yeah, I don't want to point the finger. I just know I don't like it. I don't want to do this. It's We've like, all been there. <laughs> it, it, it it does have a, a familiar, it feels a little bit like um, Brian Wilson lyrics. So, yeah, it's just completely innocent and, and open-hearted and, and almost naive um, to to an extent. And, and Chris is certainly many things, but he's not naive. But the, his ability to still kind of um, inhabit that persona and, and put that part of himself across, which is still in there with all of the other parts, is is beautiful. That's what gets me is that the song is like, like we don't have like we can be naive about this like come on like it's that's that's how friendships reconcile is that both people agree again to be um like just let's forget that let's just let's give each other a little bit of credit and i think that's what the song's about and that's why it it it's like it deserves to be as um big as it is it is big, exactly, and again, it is a big concept, and it's just, it sounds fucking big. The way this song grows and, and just continues going, it's like a five-minute song. feels like it goes by in a minute sometimes when I'm listening to it, but it, it's just this, this extraordinary kind of like reverby, blissed out kind of well, Talking about reverby. Well, we'll get there in a second, but it just... Uh, I don't know, I, the, that, the way his voice swoons at the very end, that last verse, Laura. Laura, baby, I'm right here, and I don't want to fight anymore. I really want to be a friend forever, friend until the end of it all. Yeah, that's the first time. Uh, that you hear, that's the only time you hear Laura uh, in the entire song, even though the song is named Laura. It's just, I don't know, it, it, again, it, it, the two of these guys together are just such a perfect example of, like, greater than the sum of its parts kind of music making. Like, the, the, the way that the writing and the music reinforce each other and, and build and create a, a, you know, kind of a distinctly, uniquely musical kind of experience. Something you can't create by reading these words on the page 
or just listening to the music without any sort of lyrics on top of it. It is this is the 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 uh, a one with a bullet fucking example of uh, I like both kind of mindset. I like both. <laughs> I like so the music often. and I like the music and the lyrics. That's right. And on the next song, Ghost Man. I also like the, the music and the lyrics. And this is also where you just start to realize, like, oh, there's like. This like fifties, sixties thing uh, is like pretty pervasive on the whole record. Like yes. that's kind of what this is about. The like doom, doom, doom. Exactly doom. the the be my baby uh, a drum beat there at the beginning. Again, Brian Wilson. Uh, you know, you know the story where he <laughs> heard "Be My Baby" and and he stopped his car. And like he was like screaming, and then he like <laughs> he had the record. He brought brought it home, and he like played it. He played the first part of those drums one million times, right. and everyone was like, "Brian, stop, stop!" <laughs> so like, <laughs> there is there's some kind of crazy thing about that sound that like just gets it's such a loaded sound like it's it so is, yeah, distinct yeah. and unique and just like it conjures up so much emotion and and yeah. just like such a deep well of history it's like a biblical illusion basically just that that fucking drum beat intro it it it, it puts so much into your mind just hearing those couple drum beats um, yeah every song here kind of feels like be my baby but or well, it's like it's it wants to have some of that, a piece of that in in there. There's a time. There's absolutely a timeless quality to this entire record. There's no question about it. And and again, no. But again, no sort of, not like consciously like retro or anything, and not like a rockabilly kind of thing. It's just like if it's this not is what broke, comes, don't fix it. Exactly. It's what comes naturally to these guys. It's what comes naturally to this sort sort of fucking sentiment. Um, and, uh, and there's no reason to dress it up or overthink it or, you know, uh, deliberately go in a different direction when you just need the fucking be my baby drum beat to make this song kick as much ass as it does. I've got This little run now here on the first side, Ghost Mouth, uh, the next couple. Goddamn uh, God the big bad mean motherfucker. And they, All... yeah, they've got swear words up, to, <laughs> up and down in the middle of the record. Uh, what the heck? Don't you love it? Don't you just love it? Um, but they're all, I think these three are all kind of consciously very well sequenced here in the middle of the first side, all sort of lower stakes, little simpler, almost kind of exercises, tossed off kind of songs because they want to kind of bring you in. They want to kind of get your guard down to give you a sucker punch a little bit later down the line. Um, but goddamned is like... So 
God Every damn. one of these songs is just like a. I, 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 there's there's like so much of my life and like just like experience living loaded into each and every one of these notes on every song. I, it's like, uh, you only get a couple of these records in your life. I think, uh, I only have a couple of them at least. Uh, what's the other ones? ones? Uh, you know, like, is this it, um, from the strokes, um, uh, uh, bring it all back home. Um, the third velvets record, you know, they, I've got maybe uh, blonde from Frank. Uh, I've got maybe like 10 wow. of these records that are I, just I, like, that one missed me completely. It missed me completely. And then I came back to it like six months later and it just took over my life. Um, but you know, it's just a matter of like the right record, like just being in your life at the right time. And it, and it has something to do with the music and the way it sounds and what's going on, but it also it has, has everything just as much to do, to do with do. being Ian Grant. Exactly, it has just as much to do with that. <laughs> this is actually um, a record about being in. <laughs> I'm the I'm the main character of this record. Yeah, I uh, used to uh, I used to have the I still do have it's it's somewhere down I think it's at my father's place the the jacket the jean jacket that Chris wore in the videos and stuff with the big girls patch on the back fucking sewn on there. You mean I, had that? I still I still have it. I what got a jean jacket. It? I bought the patch at one of the shows and oh, I you fucking just sewed that. it onto the back of the jacket. So this this band made you so uh had made my girlfriend at the time so she was okay. uh, taking a <laughs> she's taking a sewing class at Agora High School. Uh anyways, um obsession is my favorite drug. I know I just can't get enough cuz I want you and I'll be goddamned if I give up at the start. Simple as that, folks. Give me the chance I'll blow your just let me in and I'll never stop cuz I want you. Big bad mean motherfucker. That's right. Grease lightning. Go grease lightning. Go grease lightning. You're burning up the quota of mine. Basically. <laughs> it's like. Uh, there, California and, girl. Oh yeah, I've got a high school crush on a California girl. Oh yeah, that's right. Haven't haven't, haven't we all been there, boys? Facts. Well, not everyone has. <laughs> the thing is that this record speaks directly to you in ways that uh, are unique uh, to a very select few in this on this earth. Uh, but you know, you know that feel when you have that high school crush on that California girl. That's right. Yeah, I mean, this song is is again, it, it it is it's almost kind of a joke, based on just the sound and yeah, it's the title, I love rock obviously. songs. It's it's it's, exactly. it's rock song music. Uh, what more do you want? I, I, we shouldn't even talk more about this one in particular because we do have to move along. And also, this is one of those songs that is really best experienced by rocking out to it. That's right. Just put it on. You're gonna have a good time. But how um, little rat race on the other hand. Put it on, you're gonna have a bad time in the best way possible. Oh, 
It's, it's kind of like amazing in that it just gets you to, no matter who you are, just be like uh, amazed that somebody is kind of bold enough to just do the song where it's like, I mean, emo music exists, you know, like it, emo is a whole genre. And right. Like, right, right, right. It's kind of a music based upon this idea of like being unabashedly hard on your sleeve, like bloody, broken hearted. Um, but I never got into emo really. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of what kept me at a distance is that I don't really, you know, after a certain point, there's like this expectation that emo is going to like that. You're listening to an emo record. It's going to be a certain way. It's going to have a focus on like this sort of melancholy and, and, and like, ah, oh, I hate what's happening to me. And I hate you and you hurt me and so forth. And obviously that can be really good, but it's always more effective to me when that happens in a format that you don't necessarily always expect it to. And on a record where they just did like a, a sort of just a rock and roll number, like right. grease lightning type rock and roll song. <laughs> and then you just have these songs that are just like completely like wide eyed, just like pleading for to feel like I want to feel better. Um, that is more gripping to me than, than a song that is like, this is how bad I feel. Cause all these songs have something that's like, Oh, I could feel so much better right now. Right. Yeah. I think emo is an interesting kind of counterpoint for this because you do get, a lot of the same sort of like emotions and, you know, lyrical kind of subject matter, I think from girls that you do in, you know, whatever, you know, kind of, uh, emo, uh, sunny day real estate or something. I, I'm not an expert by any means, but, um, I think Ian Cohen sort of goes back to, him. yeah, exactly. That guy is like the, he's the head, uh, the Stephen, <laughs> the Stephen Hyden of, he's, the, uh, he's literally <laughs> of emo. Yeah. Um, uh, but going back to the, the concept of the pose, right, and and this kind of like comfort in who you are and who you're going to be, regardless of what you're interested in or what you're naturally drawn to or any you know society's expectations, like there is, I feel like a, a very uh, you know common pose. Very often, there's a pose or, or an additional kind of bolted on kind of spirit or feeling or energy to emo music that is this cor- sort of masculine and aggressive and hard Jock-like. kind of thing. Exactly There's, to make there up is actually for to make up, it, exactly jock like tendencies that are bolted on to make up for almost this like sort of embarrassment at feeling this way and expressing. Yeah, I gotta do it hard. I, if I'm exactly. gonna be sad, it's gotta be like a little bit like dangerous. Yeah, it's got or or it's gotta sound like you know this is like a suicide note level grim. Right. Or I gotta like just do yeah. There's. And that's what is yeah. It's not here. That is what's not on this record. It is. It there's no consideration or concern whatsoever with what I'm going to look like or what other people in the fucking world are going to think about me or how they feel about it or what their expectations are. This is just how I, he, Chris, fucking feels, and you can take it or you can leave it. And I'm sure you know many people uh, looked at this record and heard the first couple singles and and left it. But like that that. To me, and and to I'm, I I know for certain many others out there is all the more reason, uh, or or part of what made it so 
just it, like it was made for made for me. I'm the main character. I think anyone who listened to this record and really fell in love with it feels that way about this music, um, and that um, um, is is again you only get a couple of those in your life. And I don't wanna cry my whole life through. I wanna do some laughing too. Um, Hellhole Rat Race, though, is like, like here again, the perfect kind of like fusion of of the two of them working it out together, Chris and Chet, because um, you, you look at the words on the page, right, and it's not that much more developed or or sort of uh, uh, big picture or impressive, you know, from a just like a poetic kind of level, if you're looking at rhyme and meter and verse and all that shit, then Ghost Mouth or Goddamned or Big Bad Mean Motherfucker, which are all these, again, sort of like ditties, sort of like exercises, kind of get your guard down, just rock song, I love rock songs type music. Mm. But the way that this song, this lyric is just painted across just fucking splattered like Jackson Pollock and and that that moment that moment of explosion there in the middle of this song and you're just waiting for it and and it just it bursts it's as rewarding as you could possibly imagine it but I don't wanna cry doesn't get any more developed lyric it's just it's a mo- it's mantra like it it's repeating the same thing again yeah, and again yeah. but it, it, it's true it's so... there's like almost a like a hari krishna vibe yes to the whole absolutely thing. no question about it um, yeah it's like a sort of like it's like just like holding yourself and shaking uh back and forth for comfort taking solace in the in the reality of your emotions i think like like acknowledging them and and you know uh uh uh, not lying to yourself you know that you are sick and tired of the way that you feel that you're always dreaming and it's never real and and yet acknowledging that and and just allowing it to be true and uh and and animate your life like there's a power and a a release within that and that's what this fucking song sounds like And an extraordinary close to the first side of this record. Um, Hell Rat Race. Headache. And then we flip it. And 
And here's where, I, again, like the legend of this band just goes off the chart for me on the second side of this record. Lust for Life and Hellhole Rat Race are probably the two songs you're going to know if you're going to know just two songs from this record. But the second side of this album and the way that this really is like hopscotching through every fucking sonic touchpoint of every era of rock and roll. It deepens really quickly. It's like... This isn't a band that just has like one trick yes, and that's exactly. pretty quickly exactly. understood by listening to it. And I don't think that it's like um hopscotching all over the place. It feels like it's kind of mining or looking at a certain mid-century moment of like the late 50s and to the mid 60s uh, um and this is just like well, what do we do if we want to write a modern song with that like watery uh, lounge feel that is like uh, like a crooning feel? I can I, I can imagine Shadows in the Night era. Bob I was just this about to say it. <laughs> this belongs I on fucking triple kick. And I was about to say it. I was about to go. You know, it's not unlike. Bob Dylan's affection for the standards. <laughs> and this is even pre, you know, you're saying mid-century, 50s, 60s, Grease Lightning kind of stuff. This is, and that's absolutely true. This, the touch points for this are even before that, like before Elvis fucking came on the scene. And here again, like, the song is called Headache. And there's no fuck. it doesn't, there's no word headache in the song. It doesn't have anything to do with headaches. But, like, you listen to this song and you see the title Headache. I, this kind of reminds me of what Peter does with his with the titles of his paintings. Peter Shear. Peter yeah. Shear, friend of the pod. Uh, at just, like, the the what you get, you know, kind of with the object versus the way that it's presented to you and put across and titled by the artist is, like, is so perfectly kind of knit together and and that goes back for girls to me to this just perfect kind of conception of who they were what it looked like what it was supposed to feel like listening to this record um it sounds like a fucking headache in a beautiful way Summertime. Okay, so this this song, "Summertime," is like um, it's it's the most unabashedly joyous um, song. You know, if if the song's uh, that "Summer Feeling" by Jonathan Richmond, that's a song like that's about 
that summer feeling. It's not actually a song that embodies that feeling. Mm. What that song is about is about how that feeling of the special days of a certain summer of your youth will be something you remember and you'll kind of have a like quiet reflection on how you'll never get it back. And that song is great for the reason that it does that. But this song is actually like you're right there in that moment and it doesn't care that you're not going to have it again. It's like all about just experiencing it for the first time. Yeah, this is just we're here now. Enjoy it. that that's the case that it's like ephemeral yes. and all these other songs suggest that things can be lost like that is something about the record that keeps it in my mind like it, is that it it's very aware that loss can happen absolutely a, and and that this is one of these moments where it's like it just goes and gives you the beautiful thing like i'm crying now <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, you know, the, the story of this band is it's, is it's ephemerality. Um, and, um, uh, this month, like this record came out, you know, I think September, 2009, three years later, the band's over, it's all done and like never, never comes back again. Um, and there's so much that happens in between there. Um, and obviously we know that like this, there was this kind of like San Francisco scene, you know, early, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11-ish that's completely blown to smithereens at this point. Um, and girls were kind of the guiding light of that. And and just like this, this, this whole world view, feeling, spirit, just like kind of captured in this one, in this one song is so... I don't know. It's incredible. song on the record is my favorite song um, mm. by girls I think mm. which is Lauren Marie Lauren Marie <laughs> 
isn't right to sit around and think about the awful things that get you down. You've got to try to wear a smile no matter how hard it can be to do. I could make myself go crazy crying over times I've chased my broken dreams. But what is life without a dream? And even I know dreams can still come true. Oh, Laura Marie. The thing about the way that this record is like earnest is that you buy it completely if i do anyway because everything about the band the fact that it came out when it came out amidst the scene and the other music coming out and the fact that it does have these things that point toward like i know what i'm doing like i'm a little hip i know what i'm doing there are these like little moments and feelings of like being self-aware to the point but the then the actual like meat, the actual like center of gravity of the record is moments where it, it's not about being ironic at all. And it, it feels like he's singing these songs looking straight at you. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, I don't, I don't really detect any degree of, of irony whatsoever, you know, anywhere across the record. Well, it's, I wouldn't say irony, but a sort of, sense of i mean obviously these are cool guys living in like in san francisco during like and uh, and at the like hippest you know it's hip cool guy music like there's no way around that like that is the milieu like that is what was going on it is but and they it, I, they that's that doesn't escape them that they're living in a, like a cool moment it's true and then just... the, the actual music though cuts that down it like it makes that feel like as it rightly should to be something that isn't really important to to the project of trying to make a song that makes you feel something so it right. it, it, it this song i don't know it's just more than more than some of the other ones i feel like it it has the sense of patience and and deliberate clarity <laughs> says lauren marie it's like you don't know who that is but he knows that it it could be anybody yep that's when that you've got one like that yeah the 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 his chris's like lyrical tendency to like dial these dial these lyrics and songs in on one specific individual which is more often than not it really is an actual real person like lauren marie was a real person um and laura was a real person different person different person um, but the, the, the tendency to, to take this just like completely isolated, uh, alienated experience of, of his own, just belong to him and him alone and, and acknowledge that by, by writing the song to this one individual person and, and yet having it be, we all have a fucking Lauren Marie, we all have a Laura, 
it's it's god help you if your actual ex is named lauren right yeah exactly i i I hope for your sake that you don't know any people or have any sort of emotional uh, baggage with anyone that is named the title of a girl's song on the other Uh, hand maybe good for you because you get to just be like uh extra uh devastated (laughs) exactly um but yeah, I mean that's just that's what's so amazing about it is is the ability to take the personal and and just and and make it so universal, uh, uh, despite itself it is it's something that you really just like. I I don't know of any other uh, a band certainly like contemporary band, um, that has ever really even attempted to do what what they do on this record, much less succeed uh, about it. Really? Um, I mean, attempted attempts get made all the time. Uh, do you have any any references off off the top? Well, of your what head? exactly are you talking about? Just this 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 uh, uh, ability to like focus so so deeply uh, and specifically in on your own personal like the personal kind of experience. You know, my own headspace, my own, seeing through my own eyes, and taking that and universalizing it. You know. Well, I think that that happens a lot, but I think that something that's special about this band also is their name that there are so many songs that are like like there's Lauren Marie and Laura and they just they know they had it all the whole fucking conception right down to the button girls is just uh, the is the name of it it's like the reason we are making this record is these girls like <laughs> the reason these songs happen is is from it, it actually does the opposite of what you might think from a band called girls is like being kind of just uh flippant and like, uh, girls, like the, the couple of dudes naming their band girls, like that's how it would yeah. come across today. People today. Do- yeah. They, I don't think they could get away with it. You're totally right. For me, the name, cause the name girls is such a, such an important kind of like element of this band. I think like if they had another name, just some random name, like, you know, I, I don't think they would have it would yes, be it's true. Th- the same kind of, you know, uh, uh cachet to it. Um and calling the album album, right? Especially like uh, my, one of my friends has this this concept of like Google ability, like how how Googleable is your whatever you're putting out. Calling your band gr- girls and putting out an album called album is like like putting a bullet in your temple uh right off the bat just from being able to find you anywhere and understand what you're yeah. talking about. Um, and it's such a ballsy and perfect kind of, um, uh, 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 just like kind of fuck you move. I think right off the bat, um, to me, the name of the band girls has always been kind of similar to Bob, Bob taking the name Bob Dylan. Like the reason the band is called girls is because it's called girls and it just had to be called girls. The reason Bob took the name Bob Dylan is just because that is who he was. That's who we became. That is the name for him. Girls here. Like I, I don't even want to try to think of a reason or a specific kind of uh, inspiration or, or statement they're trying to make with the name of the band. It's just well, the name I, of the band is Girls, and it has to be the, the name I of the band. I it, think it lives up to the name. I think that their music tries to live up to that name rather than be an ironic uh, juxtaposition to their name. They actually right. try to live up to being called Girls by making beautiful music. <laughs> like, that, you know, because I... Everyone out there, Evan thinks girls, I love women. Ever, Evan, I think they're Evan great. loves women. He thinks they're great. He thinks they're beautiful and sensitive and uh, lovely creatures. It's true. What a nightmare to have no women in the no world. No women in this world, exactly. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm headed somewhere, and it's 
yeah, Lauren Marie is, is an incredible song, and, and you're totally right. The patience, I think, of, of this song, the way it just sort of sits there on that organ note forever at the beginning, and just Chris kind of soloing, like the, there's this like dramatic kind of uh, spotlight. Like he's almost, you, you can almost imagine this this song being like a solo in like a stage play or something. I can at least as the as the non actor of the two of us. Um, do you mean a song in a musical? Yeah, just like a solo in a stage. Play. Whatever you call it, I don't know. I'm not like I said. I'm the non-actor here. I'm the rock and roll guy. Um, All right, you're the rock and roll guy. I don't like <laughs> rock music. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, it's such a it's such a beautiful kind of um, uh, stately um, and uh, respectful kind of palette to bounce this this song and these lyrics against um they nailed it every one of these songs just sounds so perfect uh yeah and then uh morning, morning light. light talk about rock songs the thing about this record is like you get to the end of this record and you've heard all of these different songs and you know they're going to make another record after this and we obviously know what those two records are and what they sound like this band could have been anything like they could have gone in any fucking direction from a like scene point of view or a sound point of view or a like spirit point of view just anything like it's all I think it's all here on this one record. Uh, and they do end up kind of you know, telescoping in on, on a more particular direction, certainly on Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Um, Broken Dreams Club is a little more kind of uh, a freeform again, like like album is. But like, this is one of the hardest songs, I think, that like came out of that entire kind of garage, not punk rock, but, you know, whatever the inheritors of like the New York turn of the millennium kind of cool guy rock scene is like this back to basics, just like piece of shit garage rock kind of sound like this goes harder than anything that the OCs put out or that no age put out or, you know, any of those kind of bands as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they could have done that, but instead they, they didn't. Wanted to make some like curls instead. Yeah, curls is it's just an instrumental. It is just an instrumental. That is right. Yes, and uh, it is sort of steeped in uh, steeped in lore here. The name of this song, curls. The name of the band was curls initially, uh, mm. or I don't know if this band was named curls or if Chris just had another band named curls and then did girls. Uh, and then subsequently has gone back to the Curls name, put out an EP under the Curls name in 2017, and I think that project is sort of on hiatus at, at the moment, at, at the current moment. Um, so throwing this song here at the end, which again, no reason for it to be called Curls. 
but it well, just girls have curls. curls. Well, <laughs> good point. Boys also have curls. No, girls have curls. <laughs> it's a um, lovely instrumental. Yeah, it's a beautiful just moment it's of pet uh, sounds serenity. Moment. Yeah, sort of sort of pet soundsy, yeah, very much so. Um, it's like the self-titled. <laughs> it's as um, close to a self-titled song as they get. As curls, they get, yeah, girls. exactly. And uh, it's very pretty. Yeah, just a, a, a coming after what we've just gone through here on the second side of this record. Headache to Summertime to Lauren Marie to Morning Light to Curls and then where we'll go to in a moment to close the record. It's just like, I, I, I don't... I, I, I'm still amazed to this day listening back to this record right now, you know, as we talk about it, just their complete command over all of these sounds and vibes and uh, uh, directions at the same time. It, it's like just it's, a rock song. I mean, it's what we talked about with... Um Honestly, it's what we talked about with the self-titled Leveled Underground record, which is that there's a similar um, exploration of range on this record. The lesson from the self-titled Velvet Underground album being, at least for me, that it went to show that rock music is actually made broader by realizing that it can be soft music mm. as well as loud music, whereas... I think you know a lot of people think of rock music as kind of oh it, it got more expansive it became more interesting when people started adding in more abrasive and uh more experimental music influences and being more like uh electronic and drone based it's like okay well yeah but we, we always knew it could go louder in different ways but like the velvet underground was kind of one of the first, if not the first group to say that it can also go soft as you want. And right. and this record uh, is as close to that uh, mindset, that like feeling of making rock music as any. Um, and I think that that's partly why we are drawn to it is that they have a similar feeling to the Velvet Underground in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a good point. The third the third Velvet's record has has some some commonalities here, uh, certainly. Um, not and and <clears throat> not to say that this record or, or what they were doing on Girls was any sort of like attempt at manufacturing any sort of feeling of that. It's just like it's so no, it's just it's so territory. effortless. It just like there it just it just it's so natural. It's so it has to be this way. It has to sound this way. These words have to be these words on the page being sung to it's like i i it's 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 hard to explain it makes sense in my head i'm having trouble like actually explaining it but i I don't know i hope you and those out there listening uh sort of understand what i mean when i just said like it's it just like it's it's a fucking it's a it's a magic moment of just like creation like it's like it's it's holy almost you know like like beyond any sort of um this was always there and and it just it took these two to kind of give it form and breath and life you know the the way that brian wilson famously described his music teenage symphonies to god yeah teenage symphonies to god uh i think that girls is a band (laughs) that uh embodies that as much as any other group ever has that's yeah not not too far off and and yes and also you know, just sort of teenage symphonies to uh, to yourself and to your friends, like the, the this like complete willingness to like just accept 
one another and and put yourself across warts and all. Lord knows we all have plenty. Lord knows, obviously, if you kind of are familiar with Chris's backstory, that he went through some high highs and some low low lows. Um, uh, you know, there's there's such a beautiful kind of belief and and um, uh, appreciation for just human beings and what they can do for one another and 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 what they can mean uh, in each other's lives on this record. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chet. You've both done more for me and many, many others than either of you could ever know. Let's go out on a perfect song to end a perfect record. On Jokerman. <laughs>